0: Welcome everyone to the Fretz Friends Podcast. Tonight we have Dr. Marianne Hopkins with us and we're so happy to welcome her to our podcast. So just a little bit of information about Marianne before we jump in. Uh, Dr. Marianne Hopkins graduated with her bachelor's and PhD in molecular biology and worked as a professor in research for many years. Realizing that she had a different calling as a primary healthcare provider, she returned to school to pursue her dream in optometry. Since graduation in 2016, Marianne has spent hundreds of hours of continuing education learning about functional vision in the area of vision rehabilitation therapy. She works with patients of all ages and abilities who struggle with binocular vision dysfunction, Business, Amblyopia. Marianne also works with children who have reading and learning struggles, many of whom had undiagnosed vision and vision processing issues. Marianne is very passionate about clear and comfortable vision for everyone. She's the owner of two locations servicing the Niagara region. One centers on, in Niagara on the Lake and the other in St. Catharines. Dr. Marianne Hopkins is a full member of Vision Therapy Canada, and we have the honor of welcoming her to the Fritz Friends podcast. So stay tuned, everyone, while we join Marianne in a conversation about her story. Welcome, Marianne.
1: I'm very happy to be here.
0: It's so nice to have you join us in this conversation.
1: I feel like it's a continuation of other conversations that we've had, so I'm always very excited to have that conversation with you ladies and (laughs) with other, you know, as as, uh, doctors in the same profession and also with very similar interests.
0: Yes. I, I remember when I first read your bio and you had this note in here about spending hundreds of continuing education hours. I think my chin was going up and down and up and down. (laughs) I think
2: we all do that, right? (laughs) Yeah.
1: And that's just in one year.
2: (laughs) That's just in one year. (sighs) With many more to come.
0: (laughs) So let's start off. Marianne,
1: um, how did you get
0: interested in vision therapy?
1: Well, I got interested in vision therapy while well, I was in optometry school. Um, I first year of optometry started off with uh, a concussion. So, um, but also I had realized in that first, you know, initiation exam that they do in optometry school that I actually um was I had a mild uh, strabismus amblyopia in my left eye and um, and then with the concussion I had a double vision that was impacted by that, that trauma um, so that's a you know. hard thing to
0: have in optometry <laughs> school I mean it's a hard thing to have any time but right in
1: the middle of was it first year that you had this It was first year Christmas day and I had fallen downstairs with carrying my daughter's high chair down the stairs and I broke two steps at the back of my head. So, uh, and then, uh, just when I was starting to feel better a few weeks later, I was also rear-ended in my car. So it was, it was kind of a double whammy and that's when I just, I had symptoms that just wouldn't resolve on their own. I needed help. And, um, fortunately one of the um uh, professors at the school was very was helpful in in uh, showing me how to get the help and it first started with a great pair of glasses also started with you know reducing my screen time um so my husband printed off all of my notes <laughs> and uh you know I, I made it through but it took me six months to recover from that uh, that head injury
0: yes and and that probably gave you a taste of what you wanted to specialize in, I guess, afterwards, because you had so much experience yourself with that kind of an injury. I guess it was a natural draw to come into vision therapy and rehabilitation work.
1: Yeah. And then not realizing that I didn't have stereopsis. I probably didn't have stereopsis most of my life. Um, and then when I was actually able to achieve it, it took me until third year to get to that point. Um, but I remember the first day that I could see the, on the distance chart, um, the image pop off the chart. I was just like, that's what everyone's talking about. Oh, I get it now. So even to this day, my husband kind of gets sick of me talking about how the the clouds have layers, (laughs) but, you know, (laughs) just like constantly seeing the world with a new pair of eyes. (laughs) So, and a new brain. Um, yeah. That that was a big thing for me.
3: I assume it helped you relate to your patients quite a bit, like Absolutely. having been through. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, I mean, not awesome that you had a concussion, but <laughs> awesome that you found the help and that you can like help them from an even more personal perspective.
1: Yeah, and I I do often tell my patients my personal story, but never right off the bat. I always kind of yeah. want them to this is this, they're there for them and you know if if they need an extra push sometimes I will tell them my story but um but I, I'm there to celebrate with them when they do achieve things like stereopsis like for you know some of my strabismic patients who have never had that before and where they just you know see it on coits or they see it you know on the 3d tv like that that's it's
2: always an awesome day. <laughs> yeah. and I always find it's difficult to explain to these patients when at the outset one of the possible goals of vision therapy or, or to parents on why they would want to do it because I've always had stereopsis. So I always like to refer to Sue Berry's book, Fixing My Gaze, because it has such a great explanation about what it was like before and after having it. And I really don't feel I can do it justice uh, exactly the way you've described it, not having experienced it myself.
1: Yeah, and well, that's kind of how things go, though. You don't know what you're missing until you know what you're missing. Yeah. Or um, you know, patients who have normal binocular vision but then lose vision in one eye, and their experience of of going the opposite direction. Um, you know that that's uh, how life changing that can be when. Um, when you lose that depth perception and and your your ability to navigate the world changes.
2: Yeah, for sure. So did you actually do vision therapy throughout school or was it work on your own that helped you achieve the stereopsis?
1: So it was not an official uh, vision therapy um, program that I went through. Um, It wasn't really taught at the University of Waterloo at the time. Um, I'm not even sure where they are right now with um, how much they teach it. But a lot of what we do in the binocular vision courses, vision therapy is just that next level. It's like, okay, this is how we measure it. Can we use that measurement as a way of training? Can we use that measurement as a way of therapy? And then, you know, adding in that, even that third dimension then about, how does that become a learned behavior does that how does that become something that's innate to the person Mm -hmm. and that's the higher level you know vision therapy that we're always aiming for um but you know a lot of the the techniques and things are anchored in what we learned in the binocular vision class in the lab and you know those labs tended to break down um Suppression in some of my classmates who are also strabismic. So, you know, because it can be dangerous if it's not done properly. Um, but again, it it's, again, it's just you know, it's it's stuff that's been part of optometry for a very very long time, and now it's just taking it that next level and applying it to how can we relieve symptoms, how can we learn how to use our vision more effectively, how can we develop our vision. And um, you know we're we're taught about vision development in school, Um, so it's it is kind of a natural next step. But I didn't do an official therapy program, but I am starting to work on that with my therapist at the office. We're trying to put each other through vision therapy as kind of our goal for this year.
0: (laughs) I wonder. um, You said it took you six months to recover, and and I think that makes a lot of sense considering you had two severe, basically head injuries, the fall and then the accident. Um, do you think it might've been a little bit shorter? Had you gone through an actual
1: program with rehabilitation in mind? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Because I didn't really have much guidance. I was trying to like my, my family doctor was trying to find help for me. Um, apparently carrying a high chair down the stairs and falling is not considered a sport. I <laughs> couldn't get in to see a sports therapist. <laughs> and uh, she argued with them as much as yes. she could. I, you know, well, you know, what's the difference? <laughs> Person yeah. had a concussion, you know, yeah. they should be able to get help. Cause there were a couple, um, you know, physiotherapy clinics in Waterloo that did provide some con- concussion therapy. Mm-hmm that she was trying to get me into, but certainly my symptoms were all visual. <laughs> so right. it absolutely made sense to have an optometrist do it. Um, but I wasn't even really aware of that as being an option um, until um, one of the professors had, had said, hey, this is something that I do and that I have an interest in. and Don't tell anybody. <laughs> so-
0: a lot of us come to it after our our primary education is optometry and and like right now i have some students in my clinic doing their rotation for the number of hours they need to graduate and yes i think the, whole, the goal of the program is to get them to that entry-level area I'm really lucky. I've got some incredibly proficient students. So the future of optometry looks really good. I must say, good to <laughs> but hear. I, also, I I know that, you know, it's this kind of stuff where you're dealing with very specialized patients, patients who have these incredible needs. That's where, you know, we have sought out education. That's where we used to meet. That's where we used to all go to the States or go somewhere and take in a course by someone renowned in this kind of therapy. And we run into each other and that's kind of the the reason we're doing this podcast is because for obvious reasons we don't do those courses anymore together um but it doesn't mean that the the idea isn't there and and this searching out other means i think is very common thing regardless of where you got your optometry training we do see a lot of graduates from all kinds of optometry schools going to this extra training too.
3: Yeah, but I, I know we...
0: the I know the prof you're talking about. <laughs> She's great. She's lovely.
3: Yeah. I think we all have a a personal reason to to pursue vision therapy, whether it's personal, whether it's family or friends, whether it's this one patient that we couldn't help and couldn't forget. But yeah, I think it all comes from that, that want and that need to help.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, what is your like absolute favorite thing to do in VT? Like whether it's an exercise, whether it's that aha moment they get when they get stereopsis or like what, what makes you happy, the most happy?
1: I love it when kids take ownership of what they're doing. Uh-huh. And it's not a I'm here because Mom says I have to be here. Yes. And we, I, we do a lot in the first 10 weeks where we try to empower them to be um, to be the one in charge. They're in charge of their vision and their brain. They're in charge of how they see and how, what, what's going to be down the road for them, you know and, and we're there to support them in, in, cre- in achieving their greatest successes. So we use so important. I agree. Yeah, we use um, we have I have a couple books called uh, the power of yet. Mm -hmm. And uh, we often lend those out to the kids. um, And there's, because it's really important for kids to realize that if they're not proficient readers right now, it's they're not proficient readers yet. Or, you know, if if, um, they're not seeing depth, they're not seeing depth yet. You know, that there's there's things that we can do and we try to keep it fun and light. And um, of course we still have to do the hard work, but we always mix in the fun and we always talk about the power of yet. And we always talk about who's in charge. Um, I also encourage every single child that I work with to look at myself in the eyes and say, hello, Dr. Hopkins and goodbye, Dr. Hopkins, at the end of the session. And uh, to make that eye contact is really, is really key. And usually it takes them about eight weeks to get there, (laughs) (laughs) but then they get it. And that actually, um, the parents will comment like that their kids will make eye contact with them more and make eye contact with other people. So it's not just, you know, skills that we're working on. It's, it's, you know, their whole well-being. Yes. Yeah. That's profound. More. I love
0: that idea.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That, that's a really cool thing. Just that fixation, that, that yeah. look me in the eyes and, and address okay. hello and goodbye and have that attention, that presence. Be here yourself for yourself.
3: Yeah. Exactly. I often, yeah. I, I often tell kids that they're giving a present to their future self. Oh, so nice. they might... They might not Ooh, know like exactly that. why we're doing this right now, but the adults uh, say the adult, you will thank you for this. <laughs>
2: so,
0: really
3: <That's> good. Nice.
2: <laughs> what about your younger kids, Marianne? Do you have many, um, you know, less than five-year-olds in your therapy program at the moment?
1: I do. I have three very active four-year-olds. <laughs> 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 I, I, always, I always hurt the next day. I'm working with them myself. Um, my my therapists are more comfortable with the uh, the little you know the the six to nine year olds <laughs> that's kind of their their favorite group to work with um, so I've taken on some of the younger and I have a couple toddlers that are coming in zoom mm-hmm. for her assessment so um, but uh yeah i i mean I've always loved that age group I used to teach swimming lessons and I taught gymnastics so I kind of I have it. I can connect to just about any age group.
2: (laughs) How do you get that age group on your power of yet? Do you talk about it the same way or do you just change?
1: Oh yeah. We talk about it because they understand that babies don't walk. They crawl and they don't walk yet, you know, and that they Mm -hmm. don't go potty yet. They have diapers and, you know they understand you know kids younger than themselves can't do the same things that they do at their age mm-hmm. so they understand that you know they will grow up and that they will learn more things mm, so, that's nice I like that.
0: yeah
1: but um but at that age group it's it's usually not about reading skills so, so yeah. it's usually more <laughs> the and and amblyopes. children with strabismus and amblyopia but um yeah but more it's also more about getting them moving at that age and you know I always I always tell parents that we'll start off but we'll probably see them again when they're seven (laughs) (laughs) and then we'll see how long it works for how long it goes for that first uh, 10 or 20 sessions but um yeah I've broken into the to the younger age group so it's, it's that's been my my new area um really only took on the younger ones in the last six months so
0: that's really cool how how do you feel like do you feel like that your previous career has has influenced part of your practice do you think that all of that molecular biology stuff that you did (laughs) all that teaching that you did somehow peeks through
1: well, yeah. I mean, I, I did a lot of reading. I did a lot of writing. I would always on a, I was always on a quest for more knowledge. That was always, you know, that's why research is, right. Mm-hmm. Can I be the first person to witness something? Mm-hmm. And um, then also, you know, working as a mentor. So I mentored students. I had grad students of my own that I, I brought through school and um some of them went on to be optometrists, um, <laughs> but, yeah. um, but uh, also it's um, any any, t- any kind any time that you um, have to process large amounts of information and condense it and then be able to communicate it. That always comes through in, in, every day. It comes through in the exam lane. It comes through in the vision therapy room uh, when I'm trying to explain to someone, you know, um, what's going on in, in ways that they would understand it. Um, I try to think about, you know, what, who my audience is because, you know, in uh, academics, I had many different types of audiences. I um, worked with um, uh outreach groups too so like I used to teach to high school teachers on how to teach science and they used to and Then I also did lectures and I also had grad students um, but then you know I had my field studies would be in Puerto Rico so I had to communicate with people who didn't speak English and were working in the field with me so <laughs> you know I it all applies it's it all, all
0: applies those are applies. we all use that's fantastic Yes. Do
3: you do you ever like miss the research side? Like would you add research to your practice? Because I mean there's tons of things to research in optometry and vision therapy. Is that something that you're thinking of? Yeah.
1: Absolutely. I um I'd like to get my fellowship soon as well. Um I always joke that I want the whole alphabet behind my name, but <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's just a joke, but because <laughs> I really don't care about the letters, but I, I do want to do more for the profession too, because I, I have that skill set. Mm-hmm. I am published. I have written papers. I know how what it takes to write papers. So, um, I just need to have <laughs> my practice. Kind of running on its own yet. Yeah. <laughs> so I do stuff like that. So um, yeah, that's kind of important. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I'm two years into practice ownership, but I'm like still, still like <laughs> and two <laughs> practices. Like wow, impressive. yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. amazing.
2: During COVID, and then <laughs> just yes, anyways. during COVID. Do you yeah, like so. to kind of? create your own exercise in the vision therapy room or experiment kind of yourself in what you're doing with your patients. Absolutely. So can you share with us anything?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're on the spot, Marianne.
2: Oh my goodness. Some of
1: it is stolen from other people though, too. Stolen and modified is fine as well. Stolen and modified. Um, I don't know my, my my newest kick now is to to pop out the lenses on on flippers and reverse them. So you've got like one side of the lens is uh, plus and the other side's minus and then they have to do um, a dicoptic work where they have to change their their accommodation through either eye that that's been that's been a lot of fun because kids really just like what am i doing (laughs) they can feel that they're doing something but wow (laughs) that's really hard um one of my uh favorites is um walking tape i can have patients walk tape their entire uh, vision therapy and just layer on more and more and more. Um, it's always amazing how hard crossovers can be for people. Watching people move, you know, and and you know, throwing on a prism and and seeing how they move with that. Um, but uh, yeah, walking tape with a metronome. Yeah, simplest thing, but you can get so much out of it. Rhythm and timing. Yeah. And we have these giant mirrors in my office. So they watch themselves do it. And that is so completely different when they don't watch themselves. Mm. And uh, that self-realization that they get is like, that's what I look like when I'm walking. Why am I leaning? Why am I doing this? Why am I missing the tape altogether? (laughs) You know, they, (laughs) they, (laughs) they can see that, um, However, they're navigating is not e- efficient.
0: The mirrors are great feedback.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I was lucky that um, our office was a gym before. So it was wall-to-wall mirror all the way around. Oh wow. And I removed about 20 of them wow. <laughs> and left four. <laughs> so <laughs> I've got one big mirror, but then I have like a wall still that of mirrors, but um. It, it does give a lot of feedback mm-hmm. and it also great creates more space yes <laughs>
3: yeah for sure yeah, long views
1: yeah yeah
0: and so how many therapists do you have Marianne because I know you're doing the vision therapy yourself as well
1: I am and I don't have to it's because I want to yes um so I have uh, I do two days of therapy myself and I have three days covered by therapists and I have two therapists. And then I have another two days covered by another doctor, uh, Dr. Schellinger-Hout. And uh, so he came on board with me last year uh, when I opened the new Vision Therapy Center um, and been a great addition to the office. And, but my two therapists, Ashley and Denora, they, um, they went through PVTap last year and they shadowed me for about four months at the end of 2020, and then starting uh, January of 2021, I said, "All right, jump in." <laughs> so <laughs> they each got, you know, a selected patient, <laughs> and yep. then yeah. So they both have uh, graduated several patients, and those patients nice. have done very well, and parents are very happy and yeah, very proud of my therapists they' I couldn't have done this without them really they Wonderful. they drive they drive the office yeah, yeah. so and um, they keep me motivated too so uh, and you
0: get two days in the therapy room yourself because you love that Yes. you've been able yeah. to I guess some of the days you've been able to stay a little bit in primary care, or are you exclusively in VT now?
1: Um, I do two days primary care at the Niagara on the Lake office, and then I do two days of, of primarily vision therapy at my St. Catherine's office. Lovely. I will get the odd primary care patient thrown in there. too. <laughs> but I find it, it's, it's hard, so hard to switch that brain, you know, like yes, this yeah. is my primary care brain and this is my vision therapy yes. brain. <laughs> and then just going back and forth. It's tiring. But... I agree. I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Very cool. And what do you think about um, community? Like the sense of community that we're cultivating in VTC. How do you think that can help, um, say someone starting off in a practice or creating their own vision therapy practice? Have you been able to tie into some community around this have mentors? And
1: I know that I can ask anyone, anything when it comes to vision therapy. So, uh, academics was very cutthroat there are a lot of people who are not very kind in <laughs> academics so I kind of got eaten alive a little bit <laughs> um and I went from my um optometry interview when I when I was applying and I came home from that interview just bawling I was in tears and my and my husband was like what's wrong was it did it go that badly and I'm like no, they were so nice. <laughs> I just like could not get over how inviting optometry was in general. So, yes, optometrists are nice, but my God, you get a vision therapist <laughs> there, or someone who does vision therapy. And it's just insane how incredibly kind and authentic and gentle and supportive uh, uh, vision therapy optometrists are um yeah like it's uh and one of the the next moment of realizing how kind people can be was going to nora the first time that was that really hit home i was just like this is amazing (laughs) (laughs) i'm so happy i'm here yeah yeah Uh, i love
0: the nora conferences
1: mm yeah
0: yeah I miss those. The last two of them have been online and they've been wonderful, but it's also nice when you can go in person. So I'm looking forward to when that happens again. Me too. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Is I don't you know the- if you're working on or you or a different fellowship.
1: I haven't started any of the fellowships. I <laughs> do you want to do my COVD fellowship first. Mm-hmm um I might look into doing the Nora fellowship though too but I feel like there may be a little bit of overlap there um and that might be more of a future me uh goal but um right now I think I want to do the uh, COVD fellowship and that way my therapist can also have access to some of the COVD uh, education as well right right COVD has a great
0: program for vision therapists as well and they can get their covt which is a fellowship
1: mm-hmm.
0: if you hold your fellowship which is right. cool
1: <laughs> yeah 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 so dr Shellinger how and i have talked about doing our fellowship at the same time so <laughs> we can study together
3: that's a good idea <laughs> we were idea. we
1: were classmates too so <laughs> it's kind of we've done that before <laughs> we've already known what the other person's studying style is like so
3: yeah <laughs> yeah good study buddies important when doing a fellowship it's good
1: (laughs) so you all have done your fellowships too or
3: we the three of us are doing our nora fellowship right now
1: oh are you oh you're gonna have to tell me how that went
0: well it's it's kind of uh it's It's been a long
2: conversation i think been
0: slowed down a little bit by covid yeah yes it's been fun and it's been fun to do it with people it's been fun to, you know, bounce the ideas of the cases off each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, I think we've grown a lot since we did our first presentation. And, and maybe the time yeah. has been useful for that because I look back at my first writing and thinking, I do things differently now.
2: <laughs> I've yeah. learned
0: things. So
2: I found part, even the part one questions for, <clears throat> I really understood so much better. Some of the neurooptometric mm-hmm. concepts than I had done from going to just even some of the conferences and doing clinical skills one and two. So that really changed how I thought about it, how I talked to patients. And I completely redid all my therapy programs for concussion patients based on the Nora Fellowship Learning.
0: Yeah. I think wherever you go, whether you do COVD, I think, April, you've been looking into Babo.
2: Yeah, I'm like 90% there. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a great way to, you know, kind of structure
0: some of that reading because we're all reading, but if you, yeah, yeah. you do get into a fellowship and you get into a group where you can study with a mentor or another mm. couple of docs who are doing it, you can kind of time your studies and you can pick those, those research papers that you can all talk about and just kind of organize that part of it. Cause we're all reading papers. We're all reading, looking at podcasts. We're looking at, you know, chats and stuff. Yeah, I think the 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 idea of a fellowship just organizes
1: it a little bit, which is cool. Yeah, Yeah, it's a good
2: motivation thing.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I, but I do try right now with my therapists. I challenge them to reading something every week. So I, Mm -hmm. I post something in our. We use Slack as an inter office Mm -hmm. inter office communication. So I'll post uh, a paper or a TED talk or you know something that's um, you know and I'll attach names of patients to it <laughs> <You> know, <like laughs> read this because of this patient <laughs> and then um, we'll talk about it and, but um, I do have a library set up at the St. Catherine's office too because I have I don't know 60 bucks or something <laughs> in <laughs> vision therapy so, and uh, so we I do try to get them to sign out <laughs> um but uh, just to keep that accessible learning you know and just yeah yeah absolutely. when you have when you have that half an hour in the day where you need a br- you have a break you know grab a book read a chapter um mm-hmm. there's there's always more to be learned um and i was actually struck by i'm doing the sanit course right now oh yes and uh uh, the last one, Bob said something about, oh, I never thought about doing this with a patient. What about this? So that I'm just like, oh my gosh, he's been doing this for so long and he's coming up with new ideas. So, you know, like just the, the knowing that you're never going to know it all. Yeah. It, it's still, it's still that strive to keep learning more and more and, and then share. Yes. So, well, I remember,
0: cause I'm on that course too. And I remember when Bob said that and I'm thinking, Wow. <laughs> if you're <if he's laughs> I mean, this brainstorm at this moment and there was so much knowledge in that space. Um Bob Sennett was there. <gasps> Paul Harris was there. Hansel so Hung was there, Stelios Nicolakakis. I mean, it's like looking at these people and I, I can't, I can't, I'm not going to do it justice by naming everybody who was in that room, but you could see that energy coming from all of them and just kind of focusing on that front Bob and giving him that support, like the community support to let's just run with this. What if you do this? What if you do this and report back to me? I think that's just such a wonderful opportunity hmm
1: yeah. yeah, you know you can't do this alone. No, there, there's no way that and um I, and I realized that when I started out uh, when I was an associate at a at another office I, you know there was some patients I'm like oh let's do vision therapy and then I'm like I don't know where to start <laughs> so that's when I reached out to uh, Patricia Fink but uh, and of course she she mentors. Mm-hmm. Everyone. <laughs> Everyone. Yes. She's so giving. Um, but um, she yeah. was my fellowship mentor. Oh, wonderful. Through <laughs> yeah.
0: my COBD fellowship, she was, she was my mentor. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever
1: get to meet Betty Fretz? Yes. So actually, Betty Fretz was my optometrist when I was a child. Oh cool. That's interesting. So so I grew up in New Hamburg and she, that's where her practice was then. And, um, I can only recall one time going my, we had a very large family. So my mom didn't really take us to every single appointment out there. (laughs) It's like, everything's fine. Okay. You know, she's learning well. Okay. So, um, so I'm not sure what age I was brought to the optometrist. I think it was probably about five. And then the next time I went, I think it was in university. Um, but yeah, so I was actually asking my mom about this the other day because we were talking about um, uh, Betty and the Betty Fretz Foundation, uh, you know, the, the scholarship. Um, and uh, she said, oh, she was such a dynamic woman. And I think you know what everyone agrees with. That. Anyone who meets her, she's welcoming. She's she was, um, you know, she was easy to talk to. So mm-hmm. I I did see her at uh, at a course uh, when I was still a student, and I introduced myself to her, and and she was just like super engaging and. <laughs> Basically, it was like if you have any questions about any of this, you can just ask, and I'll I'll help you out with this because I felt completely lost. It was a, I think it was a um, vision therapy can- uh, Canada uh, conference, and I went to volunteer as a student, oh, but every all the topics were completely over my head. So. <laughs> But for, I don't know if I had that look where I'm like, I'm lost and I need help. (laughs) She kind of picked up on that and just said, have any questions, just ask me. (laughs) So, um, I think that was probably the last time I saw her though. That's really cool that she had that connection with you.
2: She's talked about making brownies for her patients. Yes. Do you remember that? (laughs) You Can you talk do about do her walking into your practice? And that reminded me reminded me of her waking up every day before going into work and baking homemade brownies for her practice.
1: I know I don't remember that, but I could ask them mom. My sister might remember. Now, my sister was myopic, so she <laughs> I I a bit more. The rest of us were all hyperopes. <laughs> she was the mm-hmm. only one that was nearsighted, and so um, she went to the optometrist a lot more than the rest of us. So she might remember but um yeah it makes <laughs> me wonder
0: food. too if you like if if Betty Fretz was your optometrist and you were five
1: I wonder if you had stereopsis when you were five like I wonder I might have you know I was I was a very accident-prone child so <laughs> I, <laughs> I I remember falling off my bike and like waking up in the middle of the road like <laughs> So a few concussions in there Uh, grew up on a farm. So, you know, you fall off the tractor, you fall off the trailer. It's everybody gets hurt at some point and then you walk it off. So walk um, (laughs) it off, dust it off. You're up. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. So that's also probably why, you know, a concussion as an adult hit me a bit harder too. Um, But yeah, I, and I don't recall, Having vision issues, but I do remember knowing that when I was learning to drive, that parking was a real challenge, especially par- parallel parking. Right. And now I can do it like that, and I drive a jeep, so like it's not—it's not the size of the car. It's being able to see where I'm going.
0: Being able to see. I was having this conversation with a nine-year-old boy today about the advantages he would have in hockey <clears throat> if he actually put some effort into his amblyopic eye. And of course, he thinks he can do everything wonderfully. He thinks he's a great player, and I'm sure he is. But I said, "What's the potential if you could actually know where that puck is going? If it's on the other side of the ice, and you know if it's coming towards you or away from you, and how you're going to react to that?" And I could see his eyes just start thinking about that because he did not want to engage. He did not want to engage in vision therapy. He was there because Mom wanted him to be. He did, he wasn't having these gains. But he's back now, and I think he's at that age where maybe we can get in. Maybe we can maybe we have an in through sport just to see if we can help that eye go
1: a little bit better. Yeah. Have you done any brought in any sport? Like have him bring in a, either his hockey stick or
0: we haven't yet. Like he's not currently <laughs> program he was a vt graduate oh, okay. but he basically gave up on the program because he just wasn't engaged and mom pulled him out mm-hmm. and i think they're all having thoughts about that again so that could be something we, we you know he's come back in we're going to do some banger filter with him and probably get him into a little bit of syntonics to see if we can bump that eye a little bit and then maybe gradually ease him back into a specific program that's what i'm hoping but only if he wants to do it. Like you said before, it's the it's about the yet. It's about having them really want to do it for themselves. I think he just needs a little bit of maturity to to get that that factor of it. It's going to be so much better if he can drive the ship himself.
1: Yeah. I'm pretty sure there's some Sidney Crosby videos of him doing vision therapy after his concussion.
3: Yeah. Yeah, those are out there. It's a good motivator too.
1: Email them to mom. <laughs> you got to find those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm currently working with um uh, a young man who's a who's a hockey player and uh, he had a catastrophic event. So with um a nearly complete third nerve palsy. Oh wow. With that pupil involvement and he's had two sessions and he's bought in. Oh, he's wow. excited now. He's I had him wearing some giant prism <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "I can see that now." So, you know, there's it's it's the buy in no matter what age, really. It, it's the taking taking ownership no matter what age, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely.
2: And the key is kind of finding that little opening, right? That gives them Mm -hmm. that spark and gives them that ability to kind of visualize what what potential there is. And that's sometimes the challenge in the assessment or in the first few sessions I find.
3: Find their why. Mm
1: -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) Well, I think in order to help patients find their why, you have to be really firm in your own why.
0: Yeah. Ah, could you tell us more about that?
1: If you don't know why you provide vision therapy and you don't know why they would benefit from it, then you can't, they they can't find that through your guidance. It might not be the best mix then, right? So Um, And the one, you know, nice thing when you have more than one person providing vision therapy in a clinic is that sometimes the personality does better with a different person. Mm -hmm. And they're maybe they can find their why, or they, they see that their why is a little different with that person. But, um, yeah, if, you know, it's not one of these, well, you know, you could wear contact lenses if you want to. Well, you could do vision therapy if you want to. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't express the level of, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, You know, accomplishment that you can get with
0: it, right? So, you know. Because it can do so much. It can, like, it's not, it's not wrong to say that what we are doing is not optometry it is changing lives mm-hmm. vision therapy changes lives It can Absolutely. take that a reluctant reader it can turn them into a bookworm and what that can do for their self-confidence in the classroom is immeasurable i think it's oep that's coined that phrase um yeah. vision therapy changes yeah. lives but it's it's a good one it's it's kind of that background to what I think in the VT space that we're not just, we're not just dealing with prisms. We're not just dealing with filters. We're not just dealing with syntonics. We are changing lives. That's what we're doing. Yeah. yeah I think That why is so important. So cool that you can actually, you found the why through going through different professions, through having your own head injury, through all of that really puts you in that space that you know you've you've been on this road. And then having that lack of stereopsis too. I mean, you're covering all the angles. This is, I mean, wow, that's that's <laughs> fabulous. You have so much, so much experience to back up what you're saying. And I think people really read that in.
1: Well, you know, you can look at it one of two ways, right? But I came about things not in a very direct way in that, you know, um, but it also, the experience that I've gained through every moment in my life and every um, bit of schooling, every Interactions socially, like it's it's, it all adds up. It all point and and you know, looking back, a lot of it pointed me in the same direction. It always it always pointed me to where I am. I'm very like I I'm ecstatic with what I do. Um, I need a holiday, but I love what I do. (laughs) Do Too much of a good thing. Yeah, well you and know, your five your five year dream gets condensed into two. <laughs> it's five years worth of work in two. So yeah. But I'm not afraid of hard work either. So. No,
0: I, I
2: I think anybody can see that. <laughs> well it's been so nice to hear kind of how your journey has and entire story. It's very inspiring to hear what you bring to the therapy room it really helped me kind of rethink, you know, maybe some of the language I'm using with my patients and mm-hmm. maybe um, gives me some good resources to think about for what I wanna do down the road. Yeah, so thank, thank you, you very you much know. for sharing. Yeah, yes. thank you
3: for taking the time and, and talking to us and telling us about your amazing, amazing story and passion and um, yeah, it's awesome.
0: Thank you inspiring is the word and I think what we're going to do is we're going to link some of the texts that you mentioned Sue Berry's book um, fixing my gaze we can link in in the show notes for this podcast and the power of yet we'll find that as well and we'll put that down there Um, because that was something you mentioned as a really important book that you shared with your patients so we'll um, we'll connect that for any of our viewers who are interested I think this is a fantastic example of how some of our members have such amazing stories. They they are so inspiring. And this is what we want to hear on the Fret's Friends podcast. So thank you so much, Marianne, for joining us tonight. And we, we look forward to meeting you in person again, and um, we can share some more stories. Um, I think for everyone, if you have an inspirational story and you want to get on this podcast, just send us a note. Uh, let us know if you know any s- interesting stories about Betty Fretz. If you have a favorite VT activity, we'd love to talk to you. So at this point, I think we're going to, if anybody else has any ideas or any questions that you want to ask, Marianne, before we sign off. You think we're good? No? Yeah.
1: Good? Okay, good. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you're everyone that I've met in vision therapy all have an inspiring story so this is a never-ending podcast you can have it forever <laughs>
0: agreed <laughs> thank you so very much it's greatly appreciated uh, thanks everyone this is the Fret's Friends podcast signing off for another evening of wonderful stories and we look forward to the next time when we can chat again good night everyone
2: good night bye Right. Thank
0: you for joining us on the Fretz Friends VT podcast. It would mean a lot to us if you would hit that like button and subscribe. If you are looking to find a behavioral or VT trained optometrist, go to visiontherapycanada.com and click find a doc. Frets. Friends BT Podcast signing off. See you soon.